0: In America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio, and we are happy to have you on board. And I cannot believe, cannot believe that we're halfway through February. I mean, this this school year is almost over. And we're, we're, we're to this point in the year where we're just, uh, it, it's going to be over before I know it. And uh, there's there's still a lot to do there's a lot to be done, uh, and uh, uh, but it's good. It's 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 all good, and, and I hope that, I hope if you have a child in school, I hope the year is going well for you and for them. No matter what your mode of education is, whether it be homeschool, whether you're in a private Christian school, preferably a classic Christian school, or if you're in a public school, uh, you know, because, you know, many of you are. I just, I I hope it's going well. I hope the year is, is going well for you. I, I got a magazine in the office the other day f- from the Association of Classical Christian Schools. I, I get all these classical magazines, these publications. I love them. I love to read through them. And this one is called The Classical Difference. It's one of my favorites. And the lead article in this winter issue is called "Better Is Better Than Old or New," uh, and and uh, that's what I hope for you. I, I I hope that better is better. I I just I, I hope the education that you're receiving, that your children are receiving, is just better. I just hope it's better. Uh, and and this article, he he refers to. Uh, the Chronological Snobbery, and you can come across that in, in classical educational circles. You know, sometimes it's it's the group that I refer to as the, the teen crumpets crowd. I am not a member of the teen crumpets crowd. I don't necessarily subscribe to the chronological snobbery, which is to say you need to use all the old books, nothing, you know, just old, 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 the dustier, the better don't get me wrong i like a good old book i like i like the ancients i do i like them but i don't want to use a book just because it's ancient i want it to be better you know better is better and it's better is better than old or new i agree with this premise you know there are some you know, newer books i guess some modern books that i enjoy that i think are are worthwhile uh, you, you know, but if if I had my druthers, I, I would dive to the ancients. I mean, the oldest book that we can get our hands on, it's got to be the Bible, doesn't it? Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's, there's older writings, but it, it, as a book, as a text itself, and, and, you know, some of the best learning is going to happen while you're reading the Bible. And it used to be a textbook in this country. And it's not anymore. And, and, you know, we definitely lament that. Uh, you know, so I'm not, um, I'm not disparaging the old or the new, but I, I agree with him. Better is better. Uh, Mr. Bill Stutzman, he's a a headmaster at a classical Christian school in Idaho. And he's just written a a good piece here. He He says, when educational theorist and writer Albert J. Nock delivered a series of lectures at the University of Virginia in 1931, he still saw the progressive abandonment of a classical education as experimental. So, you know, this is this is the time right here. Classical education used to be what, what was the the mainstay in schools all over the country and the and the progressives put on this full court press to 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 get rid of it and in nineteen thirty one albert j knock is still you know referring to this progressive movement as experimental knock summarized the arguments of the new system along the lines of practical use and here is a quote from knox too much attention has been paid to the languages, literature, and history of classical antiquity, which were all of far less than doubtful value to the youth of 20th century America. The thing now was to introduce the sciences, living languages, and the useful arts, to make instruction vocational, to open all manner of opportunities for vocational study, and to induce youth into our institutions, for pretty strictly vocational purposes so you know this was the point of the the progressives uh, you know ancient language and literature and history it's you know classical antiquity it's of no use to our students it's of no use to them we need to supply them with vocational instruction they need to learn how to go get a job that's what that's that's the point go out there and get a job kids you know, go go work in a factory, get on an assembly line and go make some money and just, you know, obey the foreman, do what you're told. And in my discussion with Alex Newman a couple of weeks ago, he, he reiterated that this was the point of the, the money that was backing Dewey, you know, the, the big foundations that supplied Dewey with his financial resources. This is what they wanted. They didn't want thinkers. They didn't want philosophers. They didn't want preachers. They didn't want, um, you know, poets. They didn't want, you know, people speaking and and writing and and putting some thought to anything. They wanted worker bees. And and, and so they, in doing that and deciding that's what they wanted, then they had to get rid of the old ways; they had to get rid of the antiquity. We had to we had to get rid of all that that stuff, all that l- literature. Uh, in in this piece, um, Stutzman uh, refers to an article from 2016 uh, written by Annie Holquist, and the article is entitled "Middle School Reading Lists." One hundred years ago versus today, and and Holtzman is saying, I recently dug up a 1908 curriculum manual in the Minnesota Minnesota Historical Society archives. It provided instructions on everything from teacher deportment to recommended literature lists of various grades, and so this is what this is what interested her. She she looked at the reading list. She pulled up the the reading list uh, for 7th and 8th grade reading in Minnesota, 1908, and let me read to you some of the things from the list, Uh, some of the authors, Uh, Longfellow, uh, Hawthorne, uh, Longfellow again, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Charles Dickens. Robert Louis Stevenson, Rudyard Kipling, Washington Irving, Irving again, Oliver Wendell Holmes, James Fenimore Cooper, uh, Cooper again. I just, uh, you know, this is a really good list here, but this is 1908. Uh, She says, um, uh, with such a list in hand, I decided to examine if the common accusation That today's education standards have been dumbed down is really true. To make sure I wasn't unfairly weighting this survey in favor of the past, I went to one of the Twin Cities metro area's finest districts, namely Adena Public Schools. And so here she's comparing the Adena Public School reading list with the list from 1908. Uh, She says, with again, with the few exceptions of a few textbook anthologies, the list below offers reading options for 7th and 8th grade students. And here it is. Um, Nothing But the Truth from Avi, A Step from Heaven, An-Na. Uh, Mark Twain is in there with The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Homeless Bird by Gloria Whelan. The Breadwinner by Deborah Ellis. Uprising by Margaret Peterson Haddocks, Chains by Laurie Halse Anderson, Touching Spirit Bear, uh, The Last Book in the Universe, The House of the Scorpion. All right. Okay. And then uh, there is Fahrenheit 451 by Bradbury. She says, in examining these lists, I noticed three important differences between the reading content of the two eras number one, time period, number two, thematic elements, and number three, reading level. Uh, so in time period, she says, one of the striking features of the Adena list is how recent the titles are. Many of the selections were published in the 21st century. In fact, only four of the selections are more than 20 years old. And this is probably the case, I would I would think, in most schools that aren't considered classical schools. on in the classical schools, we're, we're pulling up an old, old reading list. She says, in comparison, over half of the titles on the first list were at least 20 years old in 1908, with many of them averaging between 50 to 100 years old. But she says older is not necessarily better. But the books on the first list from 1908 suggests that schools of the past were more li- more likely to give their students time tested classic literature rather than books whose popularity may happen to be a passing fad and that's a fantastic point that's the point one of the points of classical education is is it time tested and that's what we're after She's uh, in in his piece here. Bill Stutzman, who's who's referencing this this article, um, he's he's talking about Annie uh, Holmquist, and he says Well, the 1908 list is littered with what we would now consider classics from authors like Longfellow, Hawthorne, Poe, and Dickens, uh, Stevenson, Irving, Kipling, and Cooper. The 2016 list includes only one standout author from before the 20th century, Mark Twain, and two modern classics in Fahrenheit 451 and also The Diary of Anne Frank is on the uh, 2016 list. Um, Yet, even the 1908 list lacks anything prior to the modern period or the mid-1700s for that matter. And then he poses this question, where did all the great books go? Where have they gone? That's a fantastic question. They have been they have been replaced with with what um, what we would now you know call today as just current authors. Back to the uh, back to this article that's comparing 1908 and 2016. Uh, she says the second, you know, point that she's referencing between the two, the comparison is the thematic elements. She says a striking difference between the two book lists are the themes they explore. The first is full of historical references and settings which stretch from ancient Greece to the Middle Ages, to the founding of America. Uh, the ancient Greek text would be Tinglewood Tales. The text from the Middle Ages would be Harold, Last of the Saxon Kings. And then the text regarding the founding of America is The Courtship of Miles Standish. These are texts from the the 1908 list. Through highly recognized authors such as Longfellow, Stevenson, Kipling, and Dickens, these titles introduce children to a vast array of themes crucial to understanding the foundations upon which... America and Western civilization were built. And that's important. Understanding and, you know, grasping these themes of Western civilization is something that, you know, kids in schools today are losing and have lost. She says, the Adena list, however, largely deals with modern history, particularly hitting on many current political and cultural themes, such as the Taliban and the breadwinner cloning illegal immigrants, the drug war from the house of the scorpion, and deeply troubled youth. That's a theme. That's a theme that these kids are immersed in, and this is from the book Touching Spirit Bear. In terms of long-standing classic authors, Mark Twain and Ray Bradbury are the only two who stand out. She says it's good for children to understand the world in which they live, but as with any area in life you can have too much of a good thing. A continual focus on modern literature narrows the lens through which children can view and interpret the world. Would it not be better to broaden their horizons and expose them to a balance of both old and new literature? And I would agree. I would agree, but can we start with the old? (laughs) Can we go with the old first? And then her third point, is reading level, and this this is intriguing. Many of the books on the Adina list use fairly simple, understandable language and vocabulary familiar to the modern reader. And then she, you know, quotes a piece from the uh, a book from the current list, and then you know she compares it to uh, a, a quote from Longfellow, and and the the section from Longfellow is just well, here it is this is from Evangeline. This is the forest primeval, the murmuring pines and the hemlocks, bearded with moss and in garments green, indistinct in the twilight. Stand like druids of eld with voices sad and prophetic. Stand like harper's whore with beards that rest on their bosoms. Loud from its rocky caverns, the deep-voiced neighboring ocean speaks in the accents Disconsolate answers the wail of the forest. I mean, that's you know, kids today are going to read that and they're going to be like, what? "What? What's going on here? What? What did this guy just say?" You know, the the first example that she gives from a, a current text, which I did not read, it just uses simple words. You know, it's written in a casual sentence structure, uh, but this text from. Uh, Longfellow that I that I did read uh, it, it you know it uses rich vocabulary. It, it's got a complex you know writing structure. you know and so naturally, you know kids are going to look at this and they're going to say what in the world is going on? I don't even understand it. But you know her comment is that's the point. That's great that they don't understand it because you know unless we give our students challenging material to dissect and process and study, she says, "How can we expect them to break out of the current poor proficiency ratings and advance beyond a basic reading level?" And we know we've we've talked about it. We've cataloged it. We know that the proficiency ratings are in the tank. Uh, you know, two thirds of of eighth graders in the country are not proficient, and that's a problem. And so, why not give them this this rich you know, content that is difficult to master and difficult to read. That's the point, you know, we've, we've got to do it, you know, but, you know, for us, better is better. And, And that's what we want. We want better. All right. We're up against the break. We'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
1: Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health. Cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients you would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off.
2: Asia believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel and be our very best Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health, regulating hormone balance, supporting gut health, to soothing the skin, even reducing the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and cellulite, and providing targeted support for mind, mood, energy, and even our body's own production of collagen. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in becoming your best self and fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUT LOUD to save 15% off your first order today.
0: Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You're listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can find us here Monday through Friday at the 2 p.m. Eastern time slot. And we are happy that you are on board. Congratulations and being one of the smart ones making it to the dean's list a place i uh i did not frequent as a student but you know what we're going to frequent it now so we're we are exploring this article entitled better is better than older new and this is in the winter 24 edition of the classical difference this is a publication uh Produced by the Association of Classical Christian Schools. And uh, the author here, Mr. Bill Stutzman, is uh, you know, he's he's just commenting on, you know, better's better. We want better. That's what we want, it's what we're after. And he referenced this article describing the reading list between 1908 and 2016. And uh, yeah you know we're just right now we're we're in reading lists the kids are are in this this bubble in this um this echo chamber of 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 modern you know what's happening now let's read about social issues let's read about teenagers that are struggling with their mental health let's read about uh, I mean name it pick your social issue that's what we're going to read about Uh, He says, a scan of summer reading suggestions for K-8 grades from the Association of Library Service to Children, which is a division of the American Library Association, presents an even bleaker picture. Don't expect to find favorites like Little House in the Big Woods, The Princess and the Goblin, or Charlotte's Web. They're too busy pointing kids to graphic novels and works covering social justice or embracing gender identities. And that's the flavor of the day. That's the push. Let's let's push kids towards this type of reading material. Oh, yeah, we don't want to have them read about the ancients. What are they going to learn from Aristotle? What are they going to learn from Plato or Socrates? What are they going to learn from the Bible? We don't want them reading that religious stuff. Uh, He says, we can and we ought to do better than trade new modern with merely older modern. Pick up a generation's uh, time-tested classic with your kids and discover just how much more relevant a timeless tale is than the most relevant modern attempt. He's right. You know what I love? Uh, Aesop's Fables. I mean, just, just grab yourself a book. Of Aesop and just, you know, pick a different fable every night. I mean, there's a ton of them. And, you know, so what I what I had my ninth graders do, I've got a book of, of Aesop's, you know, fables in my office. And I let them go through it, and, and they all picked a fable that they wanted to read. And we went to the third grade class. I don't know if I told you this or not, uh, if I did stop me. And so each ninth grader is reading one of their fables. And what I asked them to do was after you after you finish your fable, ask the third graders if they can, you know, give them a shot at discovering what the moral is. What's the moral of the story? That was the most exciting part as these, you could see their their minds turning, these little third graders, their minds are just a spinning and they're just thinking. And they're looking up at the ceiling and I can just, I can see the the thought process going as the freshmen are reading fables to them. And there was one little guy who I'm telling you what, his parents should be should be proud of him. Uh they know who they are and they know who he is. I'm not gonna call him out. Uh but you know, because I told him afterwards, I just said he was nailing it. I mean, he he literally almost verbatim nailed the moral just about every time. You know, if he didn't nail it, he was he was in the ballpark, he was winning at horseshoes. Uh, you know horseshoes and and you know what's what's the saying horseshoes and hand grenades you just have to be close I mean he he was close he 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 was he was in the arena but I loved it because you know these third graders are you know they're they're watching the ninth graders read to them they're they're hearing the fable and they're trying to piece it together it's you know that is just yesterday I was talking about the uh, the, the the wonderful thing that's happening in your brain when you just you know write something up by hand handwriting versus you know typing it your brain is just firing on on, on all cylinders when you handwrite and I imagine that's what was happening in the minds of those third graders as they're as they're trying to think through the moral issues. You know, the, the question is, what's the moral of the story? You, they're thinking through moral issues. Yeah, I just think if that, even if we just, even if literature was just, in public schools, if literature was just Aesop fables, you know, we just gave these kids an opportunity to think through these moral issues, they would be years beyond what they're getting right now. If they just did Aesop, they would be years behind Decades, maybe centuries, you know, but alas, uh, but alas, here we are, you know, here we are where we have two-thirds of the country not proficient in math or reading at the eighth grade level. Uh, You know, we have 13% of the country not proficient in history. Uh, So I'm looking at here, this is interesting and and he references this in his uh, better is better than older new article I'm looking at uh, the 1912 1912 8th grade examination for bullet county schools bullet county kentucky is this in kentucky i i want to i want to say this is kentucky i don't see the uh the state for some reason i feel like i read kentucky somewhere Uh, This copy of the eighth grade exam for Bullitt County schools in 1912 was donated to the museum. We thought you might like to see what the test looked like more than a hundred years ago. And and this, this next sentence I'm going to read to you is, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You decide for yourself. Obviously. It tested some things that were more relevant at that time than now, and it should not be used to compare student knowledge then and now. That, uh, you know, I, I just so they're throwing out this caveat because they know, they know in 1912 the eighth graders were doing laps. Literally, they were lapping the eighth grade that 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 are that are currently in existence. Not only were the eighth graders from 1912 lapping today's eighth graders. The 1912 eighth graders are lapping today's seniors. And not only today's seniors in high school, but the eighth grade students from 1912 are lapping our seniors in college today in 2024. Well Dean, that's a that's a bold statement. It's a it's an accurate statement, my friends an accurate statement. So the fact that the museum here had to offer this caveat, obviously it tested some things that were more relevant that time than they are now, and it should not be used to compare student knowledge then and now. Wrong. Wrong. Yes, it should be used to compare student knowledge then and now. Uh, All right. I, I mean, Okay, let's go through it. You be the judge if if it tested on things that were more relevant then than now. Are you ready? Okay, here it is, arithmetic. Here's the first question. Write in words the following, point five seven All right, how is that more relevant now than it is, uh, or how is that more relevant then than it is now? Yeah, it's not. It's very relevant. Write in words the following, point one two three four one six. I don't see how that's more relevant then than it is now. Oh, Dean, no one even uses those numbers anymore. Well, they should. They should. They should be part of math. Why it's just, you know, why why teach it if we're not using it? They're not going to use those decimals. Um uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's why we don't have cursive you know writing anymore I mean we do in some places but it's why we don't speak Latin anymore because people stop teaching it all right here's another one solve 35 minus seven plus four I I, I don't I, that's relevant it's relevant now just like it was in 1912. okay here's one Here's one. A man bought a farm for $2,400 and sold it for $2,700. What percent did he gain? Is that not relevant today? Um, okay, here it is. Okay, number seven, my fault. Okay, number seven isn't relevant today. And, and here it is. A school enrolled 120 pupils, and the number of boys was two-thirds of the number of girls. How many of each sex were enrolled? Clearly, that's not relevant today. Um, You know, this this question, number seven, uh, assumes that there are only two, two sexes. And that clearly, that's wrong. I mean, clearly. Give me a break. Okay, number eight. Here's another one. How long a rope is required to reach from the top of a building 40 feet high to the ground 30 feet from the base of the building? Seems relevant to me, kids. Definitely. Uh, I mean, it's just as relevant now as it was then. Except for number seven. I mean, I get, you know, how many of each sex were enrolled. I mean, that's, you know, there should have at least been 157, you know, sexes offered there. Okay, grammar. Here's some some grammar questions. How many parts of speech are there? Define each. I don't know. It seems pretty pretty relevant to me. Define proper noun, define common noun, name the properties of a noun. Oh, I'm sorry. Number three isn't relevant because number three says, What is a personal pronoun? Clearly, personal pronouns no longer matter. They don't, you don't need to know what they are. You don't need to define them. All you need to know is you're either a he, him, or a she, her, or you might even be a they, them. I mean, that's, you know, that's a possibility. I mean, so clearly, all right, number three isn't relevant. Number four, what properties have verbs? Oh, see? I mean, this is this is solid. Oh, here we go. Number five, William Struck James. Change the voice of the verb. Okay? Do our eighth graders today know what the voice of a verb is? You think they know the difference between active voice and, and passive voice? If you have an eighth grader, Right now ask them, how do you decide if the voice is active or passive? And how dare you have a sentence in your in your test that says William struck James? Why you're you're promoting violence in that school in 1912. That's not relevant. Oh, number seven. Clearly, number seven isn't relevant. When I read number seven, The left is going to blow their minds. They're all going to blow a gasket. Uh, If you're a liberal and you're listening right now, you might want to pull over. Because I don't think you should be driving while I read you number seven. Here it is. Number seven asks the students in the eighth grade in 1912 to diagram the following sentence. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Oh, oh, oh! heads are exploding right now. I can't believe they forced that religion down the throats of students in 1912. I can't believe they forced them to diagram that sentence. Why, it's even out of the King James Version. The Lord loveth. Unbelievable. Oh, that is, yeah, so number seven, not relevant today. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if our eighth graders know how to diagram that sentence. Today, it's not relevant. Number eight. Oh, oh, number eight isn't relevant either. Oh, here comes number eight. Parse all the words in the following sentences. John ran over the bridge. Do you think our kids know how to parse all the words? Do they even know what that means? John ran over the bridge. And the second one is why number eight isn't relevant, because here's the sentence. Helen's parents love her uh uh no you cannot have any description of 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 parental love towards an offspring can't do it no because parents are the they're the enemy parents don't understand why parents are not supportive of of their children that when 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 they want to become the, the 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 other sex the other gender one of the other 57 genders and if parents aren't going to affirm that, how do, the parents don't love their, their children? Poor little Helen. You're lying to her, telling her that her parents love her. Why her parents don't love her at all. Yeah. So, number eight, no, not relevant. Oh, here we go geography. All right. Define uh, longitude, latitude, name, and give boundaries of the five zones. You think that's going to happen in the 8th grade? I don't know, Might Tell what you know of the Gulf Stream. Ooh, locate the Erie Canal. What waters does it connect, and why is it important? Why is the Erie Canal important? It's a great question. Uh, All right, I don't see, you know, why these geography questions were any more relevant then than now. All right, legitimately. Uh, Number five, okay, locate the following countries which border each other. Turkey, Greece, Serbia, Montenegro, Romania. I mean, you know, because some of those countries aren't countries anymore. But but okay, you get the point. Uh, Physiology. Okay, this is what the eighth graders needed to know from physiology. How does the liver compare in size with other glands in the human body? And where is it located? What does it secrete? Oh, I love this. Name the organs of circulation. Describe the heart. Compare arteries and veins as to function. And where is the blood carried to be purified? This is fantastic. Define uh, cerebellum. What are the functions or uses of the spinal column? This is fantastic. Give at least five rules to be observed in maintaining good health. you think our eighth graders today know five rules in maintaining good health? Well, excuse me, Mr. Bowen, is, is one of those rules, Um, you know, scrolling TikTok? No, Johnny. It's, it's not scrolling TikTok. Civil. Oh boy, civil government. Are you ready? De- this is what what eighth graders should have known from civil government in 1912. Define the following forms of government: democracy, limited monarchy, absolute monarchy, and republic, and give examples of each. Oh, uh, uh, Excuse me. Isn't aren't we a democracy? No, Johnny, no, we're not a democracy. We, lad, are a republic, and there's a difference. 1912, our students in 1912 knew the difference. They knew that a democracy and a republic were not the same thing, and they knew the difference. Do you think our eighth graders today know the difference? I'm going to answer that for you. They do not, because our seniors don't know the difference, because our seniors in college don't know the difference. All right. Uh, I better take a break here. I'm up against it. We'll pick this uh, 1912 test up on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
1: Many voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news a place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new CoFixRx throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use CoFixRx because it
0: works. Welcome back to the Dean's list I'm Dean Bowen you're listening to America out loud talk radio Thank you for joining us on segment three now before before I dive back into the um, this this test before I dive back into the what's it called yes the eighth grade examination for Bullet County Schools. November 1912 I left off I got a I got a mark where I left off I left off at civil government okay before I dive into it uh I have a special guest joining me in studio Joshua the creator of of the bumper music welcome aboard it's good to be here <laughs> yeah it is how are you doing perfect. so he just came over and so I grabbed him I said hey come on down let's go to segment 3 i said absolutely yeah let's get in there let's go (laughs) yes (laughs) let's get in there let's go all right so i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to verbally quiz you all right so again this is an eighth grade test oh you're quizzing me on the test i'm going to quiz you on the test oh that's why you brought me down here that's exactly no i'm not going to quiz you but but we're going to comment on it we're going to have some fun all right so let me ask you this do you think today's eighth graders know the difference between a democracy and a republic? If you said I, no, that'd be the right answer. <laughs> yes, they don't. No, go ahead. like a few of them I know. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Your eighth graders, I feel like they're... My eighth graders would Your eighth know. graders would know. That's Public true. Public school eighth graders would know. Well, so this civil government test they needed to define the following forms of government democracy limited monarchy absolute monarchy and a republic but then they had to give an example of each I think I I think our students I mean not mine personally but I think public school students would struggle severely giving an example of a democracy and a republic yeah for sure hmm okay number two uh, I'm going to skip number two because, uh, all right. Number three, name five county officers and the principal duties of each. I mean, that's that's a tough question. That's, I mean, I can't answer that. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Uh, name and define the three branches of government of the United States. That you should not do that. You should, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know that they do. I mean, obviously, you know. What year is this? 1912. Um, give three duties of the president. I mean, they would have to know the Constitution to know that. I don't know that you know. Eighth graders today are reading the Constitution. No. In the election of a president and vice president, how many electoral votes in each state are allowed? I don't know that. And the kids today are probably saying. Um, no electoral vote should be allowed. <laughs> we should destroy the electoral college. All right, let's go on That's to wins. what's that? That's who wins exactly. Um, you know, you're right. If the Democrat wins, then the electoral college is the best thing ever. Okay, here's history. Question number. Oh, oh what I need to tell you is what everybody else here knows, mm-hmm. and that is the the history this is from bullet county i think this is in kentucky and and this was donated to the museum someone found it but the museum offers this caveat and they say obviously referring to this 1912 test it tested some things that were more relevant at that time than now and it should not be used to compare student knowledge then and now yeah seems like a cop-out
2: yes <laughs> I mean everything that's all pretty relevant I mean I don't know about the
0: what the county question I had no idea what that Well, I, officer I don't know what that was I, I mean to be fair I don't know what our county officers are I mean I know there's a you know a commissioner so um but I but I bet if you and I were were students in 1912 we'd know you would know this. Uh, how does the liver compare in size with other glands in the human body, and where is it located, and what does it secrete? I should know that. Spent <laughs> <It's been> multiple <laughs> semesters. Yeah, that. you did. But that's um, college. That's college. Uh, you have to describe the Battle of Quebec in in nineteen twelve. So you you'd have to know your uh, Revolutionary War facts. You'd have to give the cause of the War of 1812 and name an important battle fought during the war. Didn't you see something, uh, I don't know if it was Prager or one of these man-on-the-street interviews where they, they went out and asked people in New York, uh, when was the uh, War of 1812 fought? Oh, no. <laughs> and they're just like, uh, I don't know. I thought that's
2: the amount of people that were uh, fighting it.
0: Uh huh. It's embarrassing. I decided that one day I would um, ask kids who we fought in the war of 1812. And a lot of them struggled. Really? Yeah. And then you I guess you're, what grade did you ask? Uh, I, they were young, I don't know, sixth or seventh. And I was like, all right, that's it. This is going to change. So, you know, this is it. This is the uh, I mean, there's there's some good questions on this test, some some interesting questions, but I I don't think I came across anything that that I would consider not relevant. Wait, I did. I need to read them to you. I've already read them to the audience. It was number seven on the grammar. You ready? This is not relevant. Because oh, yeah. they want you to diagram this sentence. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. And I said it's not relevant because you can't talk about the Lord in public schools. <laughs> yeah, that's facts. <laughs> and, and not be on a test. And then number eight, you had to parse out the words in this sentence: Helen's parents love her, and you can't talk about how much your parents love you in a public school because all the parents hate the kids. You want to talk about? What do gender generally want to be? Exactly. And if the parents aren't in support, then. Uh, you know, they're despicable human beings. I would argue that a diagramming
2: sentence isn't relevant, but that's just me after college.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, you wouldn't be alone in in that argument. There's many people that would say they're not relevant. Do you think it did anything for you? I mean, you grew up diagramming sentences. Yeah, it's like all we did in Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: besides just knowing what was a adjective and an article and a pronoun and all that stuff, but I don't know how much knowing that helps either. But so not become an English
0: major. So I mean that's fair. So when you diagram you you're placing it in different places. Did that help you at all to think through the the role of the of the word the role of the of as the. As far as just grammar and placement, yeah,
2: no, okay, that's that's fair. I would just I was just write. Mm-hmm. I don't I think, think okay. the diagramming helped me write any better, but maybe it was
0: subconscious. We should we should do a informal poll, a non scientific informal poll, from students who have graduated. And I can guarantee I know what the answer to that poll is going to be. What's it going to be?
2: no it did not help me <laughs> it did not help me i remember it causing a lot of stress i remember <laughs> being stressed about which branch goes off of which line on the on the diagramming rocket ship
0: mm-hmm. or pencil whatever school you went to mm-hmm. yeah it was a uh rocket ship some it was a, a price tag for some oh yeah. no it was a rocket ship for um mm-hmm. yeah, i guess you could stress out over the placement you know but I don't know i think that stressing out over the over the placement missed the point of 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 the exercise you guys still do we still diagram still diagram yeah yeah it's a thing but we don't diagram i think our diagramming is done right around sixth seventh eighth grade i think we're done with it at that point you're done with it mm-hmm. oh man i, I diagram till senior year oh yeah becca had yeah. you diagramming every I other day i started diagramming and
2: the fourth grade I think fourth mm-hmm. or fifth grade so, so basic diagramming was done in the second year yeah second
0: grade yeah but you're right Rebecca they had you diagramming all the way to the end but now we're my whole life. right but we're doing other things now in, in the high school you know we're, we're we're diving more into into other stuff moral and political philosophy as you should Aristotle so yesterday I was talking about cursive writing Mm -hmm. and I I I mentioned you writing writing in cursive in preschool do you still write in cursive
2: yeah well my print is terrible I didn't learn how to print until, until I was in the eighth grade I remember um in the third grade this was the first week the school was at the church,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we had to write something and then pass it to the person next to us. And I wrote up my sentence, and the person next to me was Dylan. So I passed the note to Dylan, and he looks at it and he's like, "What is what is this?" I was like, "Well, it's what we had to write." He's like, "Yeah, but what is this? What what did you just write?" He <laughs> couldn't read it. <laughs> He'd never seen cursive before, and because I started cursive in kindergarten, that's when they had to start in cursive. Like our Mm-hmm. our alphabet you know all the you have those postcards mm-hmm. and they're always about the whiteboard and it's a and the B and the C mm-hmm. our postcards were in cursive yeah so the first thing I learned was cursive and then I I only used cursive so I never learned to print everything I wrote was cursive
0: and Dylan as a third grader had not seen cursive yet I hadn't even seen cursive <laughs> holy cow I didn't know that and now I have still have beautiful cursive yeah you have very nice handwriting. really bad print and you have bad print I used to mix
2: capital and lowercase letters when I would print because mm-hmm. it wasn't ingrained in me <laughs> how to print. I was
0: only doing cursive. <laughs> well, I must have fallen down on the job. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay. I guess I could have done a better job teaching how to print. Okay.
2: When I write letters,
0: it look really <laughs> nice. I bet. Yeah. You, you, you always did have nice cursive writing. So this article I was talking about out of Epic times was describing that um the the what's happening in your brain while you're you're handwriting on paper versus typing on a keyboard, and in your brain you're just firing all synapses while you're handwriting. So handwriting's better for you. Well, what does better mean? What does better mean? Yeah, like, that's a good question. How's it better? <laughs> <laughs> like it connects you
2: more to what you're writing, so you probably remember it better if you wrote it down uh,
0: versus typing you know what I, I guess better in that way I don't know if you're going to remember it better yeah. better the context of better was was what's happening in your brain there's more connections firing in your brain while you're handwriting yeah. versus typing probably, yeah that probably helps you remember better it probably does matter of fact i think the article did say that it helps you to remember better and i didn't remember that which means i should do more handwriting Maybe.
2: i remember better if i read things if i read it and then if i write it that's what i did in high school if i had to memorize something i would write it down first mm-hmm. and then i would read it we had to memorize the declaration of independence and i wrote it down first because i knew that would like get into my brain and then i I memorized it from what I copied.
0: I wonder if it would if you know, obviously I this study would say it, it makes a difference if you handwrite it versus type it. Mm-hmm. Because there's more of a yeah, I believe that. More of a connection happening. Did you have a nice Valentine's Day? it was great. I mean you came over. I did come over. Gotta see my dog. We had a candlelight dinner. Candlelit dinner should i tell my joke should i tell my joke no. so i i I saw this article and so i called Cindy. and i said all right because joshua and elizabeth were over yesterday for valentine's day or a couple days ago and uh i said we're gonna we should have a, a dinner by candlelight is it weird that the four of us had a dinner by candlelight no Good. I didn't think it was either. I mean, we also had our chandelier on, so. <laughs> That's true. It would have been weird if only the candles were on. Okay. So this article is Family of Six Started Eating Dinner by Candlelight. And here's what they noticed. Oh, this is why you wanted to do this it. This is why I wanted something. to do it. Right. It's an article. After a trip to Norway, a missionary family of six took on a new tradition of eating dinner by candlelight and noticed some amazing changes. And they're they're homeschoolers, too, which makes it even better. Homeschooling (laughs) mom and native New Yorker. Probably making her own soap, too. (laughs) I don't know how to pronounce her first name. Cassie Coates. Cassie Coates. She's 33. She currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I'm going to skip through all the uh, demographics. Uh, She says that uh, the family has lived all over the place uh, because of their missionary work. And they came face to face with a different take on family dinner time when they were in Norway. Uh, that's actually the first place we saw that people use candles a lot for dinner. She told me at times, we would go to dinner on these bases we would be at. And there's candles on every single table. She said, everyone was fine, calm. So then about a month ago, my husband said, let's try that. I think that'd be really calming and nice for our family. We started it and it's been wonderful. We turn lights off and it's calm and the kids will all sit around the table and talk. They will sit longer because I feel all the distractions go away. She said, one thing my kids have always loved to do is go around the table and ask, what was your favorite part of the day? They'll all answer that. But I've noticed that since we started doing the candles, everyone will sit and ask me or my husband to come up with questions to go around the table. (laughs) It sounds like they just enjoy sitting there around it. Yeah, I mean,
2: flame like light from light from flame is definitely more calming. It just puts you in the zone. It's like staring into a fire. You're it's like a campfire calm, effect, yeah. isn't it? I used to do that when I would go home from work when I was nineteen. Mm-hmm. Get home, get food, I'd light a candle, and I would eat it in my bedroom. That was great next to candlelight. Oh. oh. That's a good call. Yeah. So I used to light my bedroom. I'd have one in both of my corners and one on my desk. and so much better
0: than the overhead light. I didn't know that. The things you learn on a podcast. I still do that.
2: I have a, two candles on my window ledge and I
0: light those mm-hmm. and hang out and read. I like the tradition. I think we're going to do it if I can convince your mom to light candles every night. I don't think that will be too hard to convinced no as long as she has that. her natural candles she does like her uh her scent free uh all right well uh thanks for joining me on segment three this is it we're coming up against it can i have you back yeah we'll just you talk about, about whatever for segment mm-hmm. no Oh, this is it? This is it. This is the episode? I mean, I'll have to have you back oh, well, another day. Thank you for having me on. It was, it was great. All right. Hope you, you enjoy won. the uh, intro and outro music. Yes, Joshua is the creator of the intro outro music, and here it comes. Here comes the outro. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on the Dean's List. Encourage your friends and family to get on board. Let's unite to renovate the age.